You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Um, today, the scripture is Acts 5, verses 12 through 16. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this morning and thank you for um, this community here. Um, thank you for passages like this that remind us of your healing, Lord, and thank you for the tangible ways that you've healed um, people here, too. Um, pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to your message today um, and just draw us nearer to you and to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. About the topic of signs and wonders. Now, I want to acknowledge something here right at the beginning, okay? Um, some of us, when we hear the phrase sign and wonders... We might have a certain reaction to that. Maybe we feel a certain level of discomfort, maybe even a little bit of suspicion about where things are heading, okay? So, like, if I were to attend a church, and it was my new, like, first time at a church, and the pastor came up, just like I just did, and said, hey, well, today we're going to talk about signs and wonders, right? I might get a little bit nervous about, okay, I wonder where exactly this is going to go, okay? So, Here's my question to you guys. Does anybody relate to me in that? Like anybody out there? Uh, okay, I'm not the only one. <clears throat> Although a part of a minority, I think I see, you know. Anyway, so why do you think that that might be? Why might that be that I might get nervous when the topic is announced that we're going to talk about signs and wonders? What do you guys think? Anybody? Benny Hen. Okay, so, okay, there's, there's like a name that um, conjures up all kinds of things, okay? All right, like, any, anybody else? What, what might make me nervous about that? Anybody? I thought you guys were going to participate more than this. Prosperity gospel? Right, okay, so oftentimes it's connected with, there's abuses. I think that's what you're saying. There are abuses, okay? Anybody else? Seems out of control, okay? I, I, I saw you in the back, Kim. If it's for the glory of God or not. Wow, this is getting, okay, this is starting to get good. Okay, what's that? Or for sale. Okay, abuses, abuses. Okay, so I, I think that there are several things that are going on that would make me, maybe some of you, nervous when the pastor comes up and says, today we're going to talk about signs and wonders. And there's a couple of things going on. One is, I think the majority of us, and I, I don't mean to put anybody off here, but we, we're, we verge on functional, philosophical materialism. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we think, we think that we understand. 
Like we're kind of suspicious of the supernatural and that's just a consequence of the world that we live in, the culture that we're in. So that's, that's going on. Some of it I think is maybe a lack of experience. Like we don't, we haven't really noticed a lot of miracles going on. And you know, if we don't experience it, then surely other people who are experiencing it aren't really experiencing it, right? That we view things kind of in that way. But then the other thing that we're keenly aware of is abuses, right? Because we all know of examples of like ministry con men who use the promise of miracles in order to manipulate, in order to take advantage of people. So we can all kind of imagine, right, the TV evangelist who says, call the number on the bottom of your screen. And if you give me $100, send $100 to my ministry, which is usually like their name, Andrew DeCanter at Inc., whatever, you know what I mean? If you send $100 to that, then I will send you a little piece of felt that I have prayed over. It's a magic piece of felt. And if you rub it on your ailments, then, you know, they'll go away, like that kind of thing. So all of these things kind of make a sort of, um, let's say, leery of the idea of signs and wonders. But what that does when we come to passages like the one that we're coming to today, what it feels like to us, if, we're, if we want, okay, like I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to take his word seriously, I want to think about what that means for me today, what that does when we come to a passage like this is that it either becomes irrelevant, right, where we say like, well, I mean, I, you know, I guess God did stuff like that back then, but he doesn't seem to do that anymore. So it, it seems irrelevant or suspicious, now, this we might be a little bit more reticent to admit, but we might even be saying in our heads, like, well, I wonder, I wonder if it really even happened back then. Or, or is, just, is this just the consequence of ancient people not having the appropriate uh, ways of assessing things like we have through modern medicine and psychology? Maybe that's kind of going on. And so then we're guilty of something that C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Have you ever heard of that? So it's kind of like, you're like, hey, in our time period, we know, like, we know stuff. Like, those guys didn't know stuff, right? Now, which is interesting, like, for example, I think I heard N.T. Wright say, you know, the reason why Joseph is, uh, uh, you know, concerned about the, 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 the virgin birth, right, and, and listens to the angel, is not because he doesn't understand where babies come from, but because he does, because he does, that, you know. So ancient people are not idiots. And we kind of have to, like, maybe get over that a little, a little bit. So maybe, maybe that's kind of playing into the equation. So those are kind of like our initial reactions. And then it becomes real problematic, though, in two areas of the Bible especially, in the Gospels, one-third of which is our miracles, and in the book of Acts, one-fifth of which is, is miracles. So you're like constantly confronted with ideas. So let's think about how, where we have been so far in the book of Acts. Every single chapter. Acts chapter 1, the disciples see Jesus go up to heaven on a cloud. Acts number 2. The Holy Spirit descends on a prayer meeting of about 140 people. Divided tongues of flame land on their heads. And they start speaking in languages that they did not previously know. Acts chapter 3. A lame beggar of 40 years is healed miraculously at the entrance of the temple in front of many eyewitnesses, right? The record of which is recorded in Acts is within living memory of some people who saw it. It's like easily contradicted even, right? Okay, now this is starting to get a little spooky, right? Acts chapter 4, 
the Holy Spirit comes again on a prayer meeting and the entire building shakes. And now in Acts chapter 5, there's so many demons being cast out. There's so many people being healed that the, that the streets of Jerusalem are being lined with people that are hoping that maybe Peter's shadow will fall on them. Okay, so, we're, so for someone, let's say that we have a, you know, an anti-supernatural bias. Uh, you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do with all of this, right? So that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about signs and wonders, which is kind of like this subset of miracles we'll see. Uh, I want to talk about signs and wonders, and I want to try to answer two questions. What, one is what are they? What are signs and wonders? And then number two, what role do they play today? What role do signs and wonders play today? Okay, so let's first tackle the first one. What are signs and wonders? So back to our passage, beginning, beginning again in verse 12. There it says, Now many, many signs and wonders were regularly, regularly done among the people, that is the people in Jerusalem, by the hands of the apostles, and they, okay, so um, in this first section, and you don't have to agree with me on this, but in this first section, there's a lot of dispute about what, what the pronouns prefer, like refer to, okay? So they, I'm taking as the apostles, okay? And it could, it could include maybe brave uh, Christians who are willing to associate themselves with the apostles. Okay, so let's, you don't have to agree with me on that, but let's, that's what I'm taking it as, so you know where I'm going. And they were all together. It's a word that, that means of one mind and purpose. We saw it in two other locations, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and also in Acts chapter 4, all in prayer meetings where the believers had one mind and purpose. So the apostles are there with one mind and purpose in Solomon's portico. And we'll get to that. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. Now the rest there, I think, and this again, there's dispute about this, I think, it's believers who are still processing Ananias and Sapphira. Because that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, you know, like, hey, uh, you know, and, and Peter says, like, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom, dead. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, so the rest, I, I think that maybe they're still kind of like at home going, okay, you know, I saw Ananias on Monday. He said he was going to sell this. Now he's dead, and then his wife is dead. And the Holy Spirit did that? Like, what, what's going on? Okay. Then it goes, but the people, there's a, there's a distinction between the people and the rest of them. The people, meaning the people in Jerusalem, the crowds, held them, that is the disciples, in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So, okay, so what's going on? We've got the apostles at least, and maybe more, they're in Solomon's portico. Do you remember this? Solomon's portico, like this really, like huge, huge covered area with all this, like lined with double columns on, on either side, right? And within the temple complex on the eastern side, but in the outer courts, huge, huge area, right? With lots and lots of, you know, lots of people can be there. Now, where, when have we been in Solomon's portico before? Anybody remember? When's the last time we were there? Peter went in there after he healed the lame beggar, okay? Like that's after he, he healed one guy, okay? So he, he's in there, and then from there, that's Acts chapter 3, from there, he was arrested and then brought before the Sanhedrin, sort of like the Jewish Supreme Court, and what did, 
What did the Sanhedrin tell him? Don't talk about Jesus anymore. That's what they said. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. They have a prayer meeting. The building shakes. Here they are, right? And they didn't go like, hey, you know, let's find a different location. Go to the same spot. <laughs> they go to the same spot, right? And then and it's not just Peter and John. Now there's more of them and many signs and wonders are being performed and hordes and hordes of people are coming to faith. Okay, so, so what are these signs and wonders? What are they exactly? So I think it's helpful to look back at the Old Testament to kind of have a reference. This is, this is their reference point with, you know, when they're thinking about signs and wonders. And if you look in the Old Testament, 90% of the times, there's, there's lots of signs and wonders, those two words together in the Old Testament. 90% of the time, it's in reference to the Exodus, where God, through Moses and Aaron, performed signs and wonders, right? Uh, uh, and in that case, it was like these, uh, these plagues that were being uh, performed, right? <clears throat> in Egypt, and they had like deadly consequences for the Egyptians, right? But it was another instance of salvation through judgment, right? And, and the result was the deliverance of God's people from under the oppression of Egypt. And I, and I put the references for all of these cases in, in the note sheet in, in, in your bulletin so you can, you can look at them. Now, part of what's going on in that, these signs and wonders, were that they were supposed to inspire awe, and fear of Yahweh, right? They were to demonstrate that, that Yahweh is more powerful than the lowercase g gods of Egypt and the Egyptian magicians. It was meant to demonstrate that. And so what happened, right? If you look at Deuteronomy, when it talks about signs and wonders, a lot of times it's in parallel with another phrase called great deeds of terror. That's interesting. Signs and wonders great deeds of terror resulting in the deliverance of God's people. That, that's kind of like the idea. And, and the truth of it is, like if you, when the Exodus happened and reports of the Exodus were, were getting out there to the rest of the ancient Near Eastern world, what, what were the people thinking about that? Terrified, right? If you look at, in Joshua, it says, now there were those who joined, like Rahab, you know, people like that. But it says that the, uh, the other people, it says that their hearts melted with fear, learning that God delivered his people in this very powerful way. So these great, so signs and wonders, brings about the deliverance of God's people, also called these great deeds of terror. So that's kind of going on. Another thing that's happening in the Old Testament with reference to signs and wonders is that repeatedly, repeatedly in the Old Testament, the, the people of God are encouraged to look back at them, to remind themselves who God is and who they are in relationship to God. So the people of God, over and over, were encouraged to look back at those times when God did mighty works in order to deliver them and to remind themselves what that meant about their identity, who, who they were. And, and I could testify to this because there are times, right, even recently where, you know, things feel very bad, 
right? Like you're going through a lot of trials or you're dealing with a lot of temptation or things like that. Sometimes God, he'll bring me right back to my conversion. Is it like, okay, Andrew, remember how I delivered you out of your oppression to sin, to Satan, right? You were, you were heading in this one direction and then I delivered you out of the slave market of sin and I put you on this new road. Remember that. Remember that. When we come together in communion, like we're going to do in a little bit, it's this opportunity for the people of God to remember, right? We remember the greatest deed of terror and the greatest sign and wonder, the cross, right? Where God's holiness, terrible, terrifying in some ways, holiness is met with his profound love all in one single moment that results in the deliverance of God's people. It's another act of salvation through judgment, right? And so we call, we're called upon to remember those things. So back to the Old Testament, right? When we find signs and wonders there, there are demonstrations of God's power to save uh, people, his people, out of their oppression. That's one thing. But people participate in it. So God's not just, God can do, we've talked about this a lot, God can do anything he wants to do on his own. He doesn't, he doesn't need helpers, right? And, and when we help, it's kind of like, you know, think about like your toddler helping you fix a car or helping you with your calculus homework or something like that. Like, but he loves us and it, like, Okay, I'm, I want you to participate in this. So he, he, he works through his representatives, right? Moses, Aaron, the children of Israel are following. We're, we're doing, we're, that's part of it too. It it's inspires awe and a healthy fear of God, but it's also easy to forget. And so God calls us to, to remember in these different ways, to remember when he personally delivered us out of our own oppression, and then to objectively remember how that was accomplished by his cross. Now, all of that, that stands in the background of what is happening in the book of Acts. That's, the, that's kind of like the cultural context by which they understand what is going on, okay? So, like, when you go to the book of Acts, again, signs and wonders is repeated. It Probably ten times, some people say nine because there's a you, there's people who go back and forth about Acts chapter 8 because he doesn't say wonders, he says great miracles, and I say same thing. So, t- so 10 times, right? And then, and then eight, uh, 8 of the 10 times they're talking about the exact same thing. But I want to talk about the other instances too. So at the very beginning, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, signs and wonders are talked about in relationship to God performing signs and wonders through Jesus. Remember, it, read through... The, new, the, the Gospels again, because I, I didn't notice. He, like Jesus is healing hordes of people, like tons and tons of people. Like he goes to Capernaum. They, this scene is very much like Capernaum. Remember, he like, I think he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then like word gets out. He opens the door in the evening. Oh, everyone's here. Every, every single person is here. And it says, and he healed them all, all. All of them, right? He casts out, I mean, just, he's like walking around and like demons are flying out. People are getting healed. It's just crazy, you know? And so 
All right, you've got, so he's like, and that attests to Jesus' character, so compassionate. So, he doesn't heal everybody, and that's important to note, but so compassionate, right? And it attests to the message. What's Jesus' message? The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the, the kingdom of God is at hand. In Acts chapter 7, verse 36, we find signs and wonders on the mouth of Stephen, who's testifying before the Sanhedrin, right? The Jewish Supreme Court. And he says, remember, guys, do you remember the signs and wonders performed by Moses that delivered the people out of their oppression in Egypt? Remember that. Do you remember how Moses said that there was going to be a prophet to come who was like him, but greater than him, right? You have rejected the greater Moses. Here's Stephen. They say they look at his face, and his face shone like the, like the face of an angel. And they're saying, you know, imagine 70 people around one guy, you know, and he's like, no, no, you're not remembering. The you have rejected the greater Moses. So signs and wonders are connected to Jesus, connected to Moses. We're not surprised about that because of what we talked about in the Old Testament. But the majority of cases in the, in the book of Acts regarding signs and wonders have to do with an abundance of miracles that are performed by the apostles, but not just the apostles. Because you've got Stephen in Acts chapter 6, Philip in Acts chapter 8, an abundance of miracles that accompany the proclamation of the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, let's think about, because they're not plagues. In this case, they're not plagues, which is very interesting because the signs and wonders at the end of time, they're kind of terrible. But here in the middle of history, when Jesus has come, he's calling people to himself. What are the nature of the signs and wonders now? Right? Okay, so back to verse 15. <clears throat> it says, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least the shadow might fall on some of them. It, it, it kind of reminds you remember that moment in Acts chapter 8, verse 44, where the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, 12 years. She said, man, like the whole, like crowds pressing in on Jesus. And she's just saying, man, if I could just, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be, I'll be healed. And then and Jesus says, what, you know, people, all kinds of people are touching him. And he says to his disciples, power has left me. Power has left me. And she's healed. Okay, so this, this kind of moment, verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, that is demons, and they were all healed, all healed, all of them. Okay, so... Signs and wonders in the book of Acts is about healings and exorcisms. So remember that. Now, I think, okay, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Okay, and, and this, you know, <laughs> we read the story, and I think it's lost on us, right? But if you, if you can just kind of think for a second, what would this look like? Because so they're, they're having a meeting of, of believers, right? Apostles, maybe some more, Right? So it would be like, if this were to happen today, it would be like we had a meeting at Enclave, like maybe like today, and then people were healed, but lots of people. People were healed, and demons were cast out, lots of them. 
Word is getting around so that if you look outside, like you go look outside, all along East Canal, going down Olive, right, in front of Emanuel Medical Center, which is now empty, because people are bringing out the sick to the edge of the road, right, because, yeah, like the people of Enclave, and I'm not trying to make this Enclave-centric, but you know what I'm saying. Like, they're like healing people left and right, left and right, you know. Demons are being cast out. Like, all, all this stuff is happening. That, that's, what it would, that's what it would feel like. And, and so the apostles, right, in the book of Acts, along with other people who are with them, they're continuing the work of Jesus. That, that's what the book of Acts is about. They're continuing the work of Jesus, declaring the good news that the kingdom of God in Jesus is at hand. And they're declaring it in two ways. With their mouths, Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the devil. And he is leading us in a new exodus out from under our oppressors. Right? That, that's what they're declaring with their mouths. And in addition to that, they are declaring it with signs and wonders. Right, to uh, complement what is being spoken. Because, okay, just think about what the message is. The gospel message. Okay, evangelicals, we think that the gospel is what steps must I take in order to not go to hell? That's how we define the gospel. But the Old Testament, the New Testament, the gospel, they're the same. And it's the declaration that God is king. God is king and Jesus is king. And he's defeated it. He's defeated sin, death, and the devil through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you will submit to this king, he will give you life. Life. And he will restore you completely. Like, not maybe all at once. I mean, definitely not all. I mean, okay, okay. We're forgiven of sins. Do you still sin? Yeah, okay. Yeah, or, yeah is yes. The answer to that is yes. Okay. We still sin, right? And, and, and one day, God's going to take away sin. Imagine that. He's already taken the power of sin away. He's already taken us out of the, the domain of darkness. And one day our bodies are going to be completely healed at the resurrection. Right? So that is the declaration of the, of the good news. Like that, that that is going to happen. You have this opportunity now to submit to this king who does these things. Right? Because he is greater than those oppressive forces. It demonstrates. These signs and wonders demonstrate that. Now notice where they're doing this. We mentioned it earlier. Where are they doing this? Solomon's Colonnade, which is located where? In the temple. Okay. Because this is what I think is going on. In the book of Acts, the artistry here is crazy. But in the book of Acts, in in this portion of the book of Acts, we're going from the old temple to the new temple around Jesus with living stones. Peter and John, the disciples, go into the temple which has become Egypt with a new kind of oppression, religious oppression, with a new pharaoh and new magicians in the priesthood. Right, and they're declaring there's a new exodus. There's a new exodus. Um, when I, uh, 
I have this really strange kind of um, thing that's happening over the past decade where I come into contact with people who are from a particular cult that I'd never heard of, I'd just never heard of before, and it's the same kind of thing. Jesus is delivering people out of that cult. It's a, now it's, you know, it's Jesus-ish, right? They have a Bible, like they mention Jesus, but it's religious oppression. I mean, it's all about just rules. It's not about relationship to God. And then the gospel comes to them, a new exodus. And then people are, are delivered in this kind of way. And so God is demonstrating through these signs and wonders, right? He's declaring that he is more powerful than those oppressors. And what this does is it gives them a little window, a little window into the world to come. What will the world look like if Jesus is king? Well, if Jesus is king, people are liberated from their oppressors and they are restored fully fully restored, right? And so these, these healings, right, these exorcisms, think about, see, we're not, don't be surprised by this. How did Jesus commission the apostles? How did he commission the 72 in Luke chapter 10? Luke 9, Luke 10, he says, tell people that the kingdom of God is at hand. How do we do it, Jesus? Preach the gospel cast out demons, heal people. Why? Because the gospel is Jesus is king and he will deliver people from their oppression. So he will deliver people from their sin and he will deliver people from death. Right? And healings is just a, it's just a sign. It's just a, sample. It's a Costco sample of healing from death. Right? And he will heal you, and, and he is coming to liberate you from Satan. Right? And so, of course, there's exorcisms. Right? We just, you know, it's like, all those ancient people are so stupid. Oh, no, 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 they understand the gospel. Right? And, and when, but when you, when you hear the story and you put it all together, it's shocking in the one way with just the beauty and the artistry over this, you know, this story has been written by multiple authors over the course of millennia, and it's this one unified story around Jesus, and that's just mind-blowing in and of itself. But it also becomes shocking when you're like me, like recovering from philosophical materialism, anti-naturalism. Like, you, you know, it's like, uh, you, you said what now? Like every single, every... So people came, and you prayed, and, and then people were, all of them were healed, okay? And then demons were cast out? Like, what am I supposed to do with that, right? And, and so now, you know, so that brings us to our second question. What are the role of signs and wonders today? Now, <clears throat> that, that mirac miraculous events happen, even exorcisms and even healings, that the miraculous events happen is pretty much agreed upon by all Christians. Like, that's widely, you know, accepted that those things can happen in the world, at least in the world somewhere, and at least theoretically, and for some of us, it's very theoretical, right? <clears throat> but we shouldn't be surprised, because what does the New Testament 
teach regarding some of those things. Like, let's just take two examples. So the New Testament teaches that, that we, right, are seated with Christ where? At the right, with Christ at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. That, that's where we're seated with Jesus. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. What is the right hand of God about? Like you go to Ephesians chapter 1. And then you learn that Jesus has been elevated to that position as a result of defeating rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions, which include the domain of darkness. Right? And that we're seated with Jesus, who has that authority, with him. Right? Of course there's going to be exorcisms. Like, of course. Right? Why would we think anything else? Or what about this? Um, the Bible teaches... Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that some people, now this is disputed, okay? So just bear with me for a second, all right? Some people have been given the gift of healing. Then it says, ooh, this is, uh, and then it says, some people are given the gift of miracles, which can be translated power or powers, right? And that might have a relationship to exorcism. That's kind of hard to prove, <clears throat> totally. And now in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 through 10, you look at, just look up 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and think if, if Paul thinks, Paul, if Paul thinks that, things, that these things are going to continue until the time of the return of Jesus, it seems like he thinks that, right? <laughs> you know, it seems like he thinks that. Now that's, that's, that's disputed, so let's just, all right, let's, let's get to back where we, where we can all agree, Okay. So where we can agree is like, okay, at least, at least that, that miraculous events occur in the world, right, that include healing and, and uh, uh, deliverances or exorcisms, like we can agree that, that that happens. But what about signs and wonders? Because that's not exactly the same thing. Si signs and wonders, what we've said is there are the abundance of miracles that happen in conjunction with the proclamation of the gospel. They're the abundance of them, right? So it's like, a, it's like a miracle outbreak, like a miracle pandemic is what happens, right, in conjunction with the preaching of the gospel. Does that still happen? And so, so now, now we're stepping into more controversial waters here. Does that still happen? Well, I look at the New Testament and I say, um, I I just, I don't see, I don't think I see anything that would mitigate against that. And then we have all the raw, raw materials that might suggest that they would, right? Especially in those places that need revival. But then the biases kick in, right? And you say like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I actually can't say this about myself personally anymore because I've just seen too much, but but I, I have been in places, and maybe you are too, where it's like, well, I've never seen a miracle. And if I haven't experienced, I mean, other people, they, they must be lying, or, you know, we, we make ourselves the standard, right? Or we say to ourselves, um, well, what about all the abuses? That's, that's a real concern. I'm very concerned. I'm actually kind of upset, you know, that there would be these abuses because I think it's done something. We've got all these counterfeit bills out there and the rest of us don't even want to use money anymore because of the counterfeits. 
right? And, but, but, you know, but here we are. Like, and now, so let's, okay, so the New Testament, it seems to suggest that maybe it would be anticipated. Anticipate. I know that that's kind of, for some of you, that's kind of shaky. What about the testimony of the church? So let's think about that for a second. Testimony of the early church, the testimony of the modern church. So when I think about the early church, like I'm thinking about people like um, Justin Martyr. He's writing around 150 AD. I'm thinking about um, <laughs> I'm thinking about Tertullian at the very beginning of the third century. Tertullian, man, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. So uh, Tertullian, he 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 um, he talks to the the Roman official at the time, and um, who's persecuting Christians. And he says to them, this is his logic. This is the logic that he uses. He says, why would you persecute Christians? We're the ones healing all your sick. And we're the ones casting out all the demons. That's his argument to the official that's threatening to kill him. Now, would he make that argument if he didn't think that those things were true? Like, it's like, you know, he says at one point, he's like, the gods that you believe in, this is Tertullian, to somebody who wants to kill him, right? He says, the gods that you believe in, bring, them, bring the people who believe in those gods to your court. And then he says, he says, ask any Christian, any Christian, tell them to come into the court, and then that Christian will force the demon that they are worshiping to admit that they are actually a demon and not a god. This is Tertullian. This is around 200 A.D., Right? He's like, okay, that's, you know, and then we, oh, we trust the church fathers. Well, not on these points. Not on these points. You know, like, okay, that's interesting. What about uh, Irenaeus in 200 AD? Right? Who discipled Irenaeus? His name is Polycarp. Who discipled Polycarp? Fuller Seminary, right here. Yeah. (laughs) Polycarp was discipled by the Apostle John, okay? He goes and he moves. They, they, they kind of commission him to France. So now he's a bishop in France. And at one point, he goes like, hey, everybody, um, there's a bunch of people being raised from the dead over here. That, you know? And you're kind of going like, because I'm reading that, and I'm going like, what? I don't, you know, I'm not sure about. Uh, there was a study that was done uh, for the church during the 300s. And the scholar was, who presented the study was not actually excited about the results that he gave, but he said, look, the majority of conversions during the time of the 300s, I hate to tell you, came as a result of witnessing healings and exorcisms. So that, that's the testimony of the early church. What about the modern church? Uh, I was listening to a lecture by Craig Keener, who is arguably, and I don't think there's much of an argument, actually, he is like the expert on miracles. Now, he's actually a New Testament scholar. He was writing a, uh, a commentary on the book of Acts. I think Jacob mentioned this. And, and uh, so he wrote a four-volume commentary on the book of Acts. It's this big. It's, it's ridiculous. Come on. There's something wrong with this person. You know, and, and he was writing a footnote regarding, like, how, you know, that this construct of not accepting miracles is actually just a minority view of elite scholars in the West where the rest of the world is completely open to it and then there's all these evidences for it throughout history. So he's writing a footnote 
in his commentary on the book of Acts. Once it starts getting to around 200 pages long, he says, you know what, I, I think I need to write another book. And then he writes an 1,100-page book, a two-volume set, and that now Jacob is trying to read through that. You know, I'm like, well, you just tell me what you, you know. I don't know if I have time to read an 1,100-page book on miracles. But so anyway, so he, now the, the, his testimony, and the, I listened to some interviews by uh, Dr. J.P. Moreland, who is a Christian um, philosopher down in Talbot. They, they say, okay, looking, looking at the evidence about the modern church, okay, and this, they're just agreeing with what missiologists have said, right, for a long time. They said that signs and wonders, most of the time, signs and wonders today happen in those areas where groundbreaking evangelism is happening. Like, that's, that's why when missionaries come and share, like, they have, they have like, weird stories. Or like, well, I've never seen that, you know. <clears throat> they say that, that those... There are outbreaks of miracles that are happening in those places when, there's, when the gospel maybe hasn't taken root or maybe revival needs to happen, right? That kind of a thing. So, for example, like in China, it's estimated that over one half of the conversions happen as a result of some, seeing somebody healed in Jesus' name. And in the underground church, it's like rampant. It's rampant, right? So the word they're like, you know, when somebody doesn't get healed, that's when, like, the teaching, like, the pastor has to go, up, all right, let me explain how God doesn't always heal and his purpose is about that. Like, no, he always heals. Um, in India and in Nepal, right, most of the conversions that happen there come as a result of people experiencing healings and exorcisms, right? And so I, 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 uh, I contacted Brad Watt. You guys know Brad Watt? Where does he work? He works in Nepal. I said, okay. Like, this is what um, experts are telling me. Can you verify this, like, as somebody who's on, like, boots on the ground? He goes, oh, of course. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect, like, you know, what he would say. He was like, well, yeah, of course. He goes, he goes especially exorcisms. He says, well, but don't forget dreams. And, um, but what's his line of work? Remember, he's, he's helping free girls who are in the slave traffic trade. Do you think that, do you think there might be demons in slave trafficking, involved in slave trafficking? Well, yeah. So, yeah, what are Christians going to do? Cast them out. <laughs> oh, you know, it's like, okay, that's a little hard to, um, what about in Mozambique, right? Um, in the last uh, couple of decades, whole Muslim villages have come to Christ as a result of miraculous healings of the deaf and the blind, which has recently been medically verified by somebody who came over from our side of, of the Atlantic and then published in, 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 a, in, a, in a book published by University, Harvard University Press in 2012. I said, it's like, you know, because they're like, okay, wait a minute, well, you know, you're, you're telling these things. We're going to go over there. There was this, there's a story about this lady who, sh they're showing the Jesus film, and, and she's like, she's not even... She, she was going to pray for healing. She was going to. But, like, she couldn't even get, like, get to do it because people just are, are starting to get healed. Just what, you know? Like, what are we supposed, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? Right, like, I don't believe these things still happen. What am I supposed to do? Right, but, but this is the, you know, what are we supposed to do? Right, so what I'm saying is the New Testament seems to anticipate it. Right? The testimony of the, of the ancient church, the modern church, 
They're testifying to the reality of the continuance of the signs and wonders. What are we supposed to do? And I think my... I don't think... I want you to hear me right. I don't think that we're supposed to make things happen. I don't think that that's how that works. And I think the reason why we struggle so much to believe that it might happen is because there's been a lot of people who've been trying to make things happen. And then when you're totally sold on telling everybody, hey, I have the power to make things happen, and then they don't, they don't happen, what, what are you liable to do? Like you fudge it a little bit, right? But So I, I'm not suggesting that we make things happen. I'm, but I ask the question, are we open? Are we even open? Are, 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 I mean, is God the Spirit different? Like, is he different today or is he the same? Like, is he at least able to do this? That, that, I'm just trying to move you a little bit, right? Um, should we pursue these things? That's a different question, isn't it? It's like uh, you've got the, the question of whether they continue or not is one question. And the other question is, okay, well, should we pursue it? Now, um, I was really helped by Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology in chapter 17 about miracles. He's really helpful to me. He said his, his basic answer to this is like, well, it depends. It depends on your motive, right? Because if you're, if you're motivated by a, a selfishness, then the answer to that question is no, right? So if your desire is to, like, use God's power to make your name great, like the Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8, or like some television evangelist today, then the answer is no, you should not pursue signs and wonders. If you're hoping to be entertained, and that, you know, who doesn't want to see a good demon be cast out, right? Good demon? You know, who, a good exorcism, yeah. A good, who doesn't want to see a good exorcism every once in a while, right? But if you're, if you're just wanting to be entertained, right, like Herod in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, right, he was excited about seeing Jesus. Why? Because he thought maybe he would, he'd been hearing all, all these signs. It's like, man, maybe he'll do a sign in front of me. But that's the only reason. He wasn't interested in bowing the knee to Jesus, he just wants to see Jesus perform miracles. If that's what you're motivated by, should you pursue it? No. If you're motivated by an effort to try to discredit things, right? You, you, you think about um, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, the Jewish leaders, they, they, te- they, de- they test Jesus by demanding a sign. And Jesus responds to them. He says, you crooked and wicked generation. Only a crooked and wicked generation seeks signs. But I will give you one sign. What's the sign? The sign of Jonah who was in the belly of the fish for three days and then sped up on dry land. That's the sign that you're going to get if you're trying to use your demand to try to discredit me. Like, we'll believe if you do something. And then he does something. Well, we believe if you do something else. He does something. Well, we'll believe. No. We're not talking about that kind of pursuit. But, but, if you are pursuing or open to or asking, I want to see signs and wonders, not, not to make much of myself, not to wield anything, not to do anything, make anything happen, but just because, I want, man, I want, to, I want to see Jesus exalted and the kingdom of God advanced. 
then the answer is yes. You see, we have to understand that Acts chapter 5, it's coming on the heels of a prayer from the church. Do you guys remember? In Acts chapter 4, they pray this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Who's threatening them? The Jewish leaders in the temple who have become Egypt and Pharaoh. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand. Sounds just like Exodus. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Because it's in his power alone. It's not about you and the power that you wield. It's about Jesus. So he's saying, if your desire is to exalt Jesus and his kingdom, well, looking at the disciples' examples, we are exhorted through the book of Acts to pray that God might do it again to exalt him. It's a very interesting time in, in church history where there was not a lot of stuff happened. You know what that time was about? Christianity became legal. And what did Christians start putting their hope in? Government. And I just wonder, I just wonder whether as Christians... We're fighting the wrong battle. Trying to keep the government like giving us rights instead of fighting the real battle, which is people, they're oppressed. Not by the government, I mean, maybe, but I mean, not by the government. Sin, death, and the devil. What if we opened ourselves to that? Signs and wonders are meant to point us to this future age. And this passage, right, is an invitation for us to put our confidence in Jesus. He is the one who delivers us from sin. He's the one who delivers us from Satan. He's the one who delivers us from death. And he sometimes, with reference to death, right, because the, the, the membrane of the future kingdom of God is very thin and porous. And when the little drops fall down, every once in a while a little drop falls down on Carlton and he's healed of cancer. Right? But it's just, a, it's just a sample. It's a sample of the world to come. Praise Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, you, you are, you're good. And Father, we confess at this moment that we, we sort of believe in you, but we have a lot of unbelief. And so God, I just pray that, that you would meet us. You're so kind. That you would just meet us where we're at and speak to us where we're at and do a work by your Spirit so that Jesus is exalted in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.